0: Uh, first is that, um, just a, uh, I guess uh, you might already know, but if you're not on notice, uh, I'm gonna put you on notice uh, for you ladies in the church, and that is that um, uh, there is a baby shower for uh, Brenda Labonte on March uh, 14th at 2 p.m. Uh, it'll be via Zoom. Uh, there is uh, there is a uh, an insert kind of going around, um, if, but if you are looking for more information, uh, please see Caitlin um, after the service, and also. Uh, another quick announcement, is, and that is that um, if you are not part of a community group, can I just encourage you to consider being a part of one? Um, we have uh, several different groups that are meeting each week. Uh, some are online, some are hybrid. Uh, one, I think, is even in person as well. Um, but uh, if, uh, this is a great way to connect to the church, to connect to brothers and sisters uh, during the middle of the week, to just for encouragement, just to prayers, just to share testimonies, just to catch up just to get into the Word and think about the Word as well together in the context of a Christian community, and I think we all need that. So if you're not a part of one yet, uh, please consider being a part of one. And if you want more information, uh, just uh, talk to me after the service. I would love to share more and even help you get plugged into one. So that's all the announcements we have. Let's go to the Lord and just uh, worship Him this morning through some songs.
1: Amen. Amen. Let's stay in church. Uh, so this morning, uh, today's call to worship will be out of Psalm 66, verses 1 and 2, and it's short and simple, but straight to the point. And it says, Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing glory of his name and give him glorious praise. Let's do that this morning. Amen. Let's sing. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above
2: all things His love endures forever Sing praise, sing praise
1: With a mighty hand and outstretched arm His love endures forever For the life that's
2: been reborn His love endures forever
1: continue in worship this morning. All. and come behold the wondrous mystery slain by death, the God. Unwavering all hope Christ in power resurrected We will be when, when he comes Praise God This is powerful songs Great is thy faith God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee, and Thou changest not, Thy compassions they fail not, as Thou hast been, Thou forever will be. That's great. great. you with words, um, but also with our hearts, Lord, with our soul, our spirits this morning. I pray, God, that as we continue in worshiping your word, that you may be glorified. Um, I pray, God, that you may open our hearts, our minds to receive your word, to turn away and repent from ways um, and turn to you, Lord, um, and that we may be encouraged in all things. And in Jesus' name I pray.
0: Amen. Church, you may be seated. Man, let me read to us a passage from First Thessalonians chapter two. Which actually points us to the book of Philippians and our series into that book, and especially fits well with the sermon this morning. So first Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 says, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness, excuse me, boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Let's go to the Lord and spend some time in prayer. Father we thank you for your enduring faithfulness lord we thank you for being good and gracious and kind to us we thank you lord that even when we are faithless lord you still remain faithful so we thank you and we praise you lord And we come before you this morning, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ, which comes through us through the gospel of Christ. We want to praise you and thank you for you are the author of the gospel, and through that gospel, you have saved us. Lord, we are not saved by our works, not because of anything we might have done to merit your favor or anything that we continue to do to merit your favor, but you have saved us through your love in this message that declares to us the work of Christ on behalf of sinners. Father, we pray for our church. We ask that your gospel would continue to have its transformative effect in us and through us, through your abiding Holy Spirit. God, we also ask that you may give us boldness to declare this message to the world. Lord, help us to push past the fear, the anxiety, the the intimidation that we all feel when it comes to personal evangelism. Lord, give us an increasing love for the lost that will risk reputation and social capital in order to share this message of hope. Father, we pray this morning for our children's uh, Sunday school happening via Zoom today, and God, we pray that this would be a time where your wonderful and precious truth would be instilled in the heart's of these little ones. Lord, and we do pray that you would bring these children to saving faith in Christ. Lord, we pray for the children who are part of this group, Lord, that have no connection, Lord, have no Christian connection in their home. Lord, may you press these truths upon their minds, Lord, and help them to understand And help them, Lord, to come to a place where they believe as well. So we pray that you would use this time, Lord, as you see fit. And that you would use it to draw these little ones to yourself, Lord. Lord, we pray also for our sister Jane. We pray, God, with her. For the salvation of her dad and grandparents and cousins, Lord, we pray that you would be merciful and gracious, God, and soften their heart and draw them to Christ. Lord, wherever they may be, Lord, would you bring people that would bring gospel witness into their lives, Lord? Please save them, help them, Lord, to believe in Jesus. Lord, give her the boldness to share the gospel with her family members. And with coworkers. Lord, help her also to be more disciplined in the reading of your word and prayer so that you may continue to communicate to her your incredible love for her. Lord, when we pray for those in our church who are sick or might be in emotional, spiritual, or physical distress, Lord, remind them this morning of the hope that comes from the gospel. Give them an enduring joy in Christ, even in their midst of their personal suffering. Lord, when we do pray for their healing, for their recovery, we pray that you would give their hearts and their minds peace. God, we pray for our sister Reshma. Lord, may her studies give her an increasing joy, and increasing delight in Christ. Cause her heart to grow in greater love and greater gratitude and greater appreciation for the gospel of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would give her clear direction as to future ministry. We pray that you would relieve any anxiety that she may feel, that you would guard her heart and her mind in Christ Jesus and fill her with your abiding peace. And use her to be a great blessing to our church and graciously, Lord, provide for every single one of her needs. Jesus, we pray for Durham Evangelical Church. Lord, We pray that you would keep them centered in the gospel. We pray that you would encourage them through the gospel. And may they be faithful in preaching the gospel, not only in their gatherings, but outside of that gathering as well. Father, we pray for our country. We pray especially as the Equality Act makes its way to the Senate. Lord, as Christians, we are not against anyone being treated unfairly. But we ask, Lord, that religious organizations and institutions would also be treated fairly. Lord, we pray for the protection of our religious freedom, however you may see see in accomplishing that. Lord, we pray that you would preserve our freedom, preserve the freedom for all religions in our country. But whatever happens, Lord, help us to continue to preach the gospel with boldness. And Lord, we pray for all those who work in the areas of administration or finance or customer service. God, we ask that your grace would help them and sustain them in the challenges that they meet and the frustrations of their work. Help them to perform to the best of their ability, knowing that they are ultimately working for their heavenly master in heaven. And we pray that you would use them as gospel witnesses and grant them boldness to share the gospel in a winsome and wise manner. Lord, we trust you for all these things, and we look forward to all that you are going to do. We thank you, Lord, that you hear us, that you know our prayers before we even speak them. And with earnestness, Lord, we pray the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would please turn to Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. Philippians one, verses twelve to eighteen. It says I want you to know, brothers. knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that You would give us the encouragement and the joy of not only knowing the gospel, but also the fact that the gospel continues to advance and be proclaimed in the world. Pray that you may speak to us, that you may encourage us, and fill us with the joy that comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Convictions are strengthened when they're tested. Convictions are not just beliefs that you hold on to, but convictions are beliefs that actually possess and hold on to you. Convictions have a way of defining your life. And one day, those convictions will be tested, probably more than once. A kid who is tested, tempted, or pressured by his friends to steal from another is tested, his convictions are tested when he's been instilled by his parents the conviction that he should treat others the way that he desires to be treated. If you're in the workplace, your boss tells you to fudge the numbers in order to make it look like there hasn't been a mismanagement of finances it might come against your personal convictions that you should lead a lead somewhat an honorable life. As Christians, your convictions may be tested when you're put in a situation or in a conversation when you are required either to hold on to the truth as they're told to us in the scriptures or to compromise with that truth, perhaps to avoid any difficult conversations or any conflict. Writer and author John Bloom once wrote that lukewarmness is the dying of conviction and conviction often dies the death of a thousand compromises. Adversity can lead to the dying of conviction today. And today, Christians are faced with plenty of adversity, and it's only increasing. And this was no different in Paul's time. The Christian church in his time faced a lot of different adversities. And the apostle Paul himself faced many So a lot of resistance and conflicts when it comes to preaching the gospel. And yet, even in the midst of opposition, we see here in the passage that the gospel continues to advance and move forward, even in the face of unrelenting adversity. So first, preaching in adversity. So... In past sermons, I've mentioned the fact of how how much affection the Apostle Paul has towards this church in Philippi and how much affection they have towards the Apostle Paul. Now, it's kind of abnormal for Paul to kind of front load his personal remarks, because normally in his letters he would leave it towards the very end, talk about his personal well-being and things like that, but here... It's towards the beginning. And I think, again, it's because he has this deep concern for the church, and they have this deep concern for him, and they know that he is in prison for the preaching of the gospel. And so he immediately wants to give them some relief to their concerns. So he begins by saying, I want you to know, brothers, In other words, he's trying to draw their attention. He's saying, "Pay attention and reflect on what I am about to tell you," and we should do likewise. So, what's happened to Apostle Paul? So, I want to quickly correct a mistake I made in a previous sermon. I said that the church came about or was planted around AD fifty nine, and that was actually in AD forty nine. And the letter, this letter to the Philippians, was written AD fifty nine during Paul's second imprisonment and during his third missionary journey. So Paul here is in prison. And so what kind of led to his imprisonment? And we read what happened in Acts chapter 21, verse 27. So this is Paul in Jerusalem, in the Jerusalem temple. In Acts 21, verse 27, When the days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing Paul in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who was teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. So here's Paul. I mean, only the Apostle Paul can set an entire city in commotion. And he's beaten and he's thrown into prison. And he spends A.D. 58 to 63 in prison. And that's where the time when he writes his prison epistles. So Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians. All of this because of his preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what's happened is that even though he's imprisoned, right, he's, there's still the preaching of the gospel, right? So it's the preaching of the gospel that led to, his, to this riot, not caused by him, leads to this riot, which leads to the attention of the Roman guards who come and take Paul and imprison him with two chains, take him away. But the, the gospel continues to be preached. Because one, I mean, we, the apostle Paul is one of those guys that you just can't get to be quiet. And no matter what you do, he continues to talk, he continues to preach the gospel. And so you would presume, quite accurately I would think, that he would still preach the gospel even while he's in prison. To the guards, to perhaps those who are in prison with him. Not only that, but it says that the whole city was stirred up. So everybody in the city would have known what is going on. Well, here's a man who's entered the temple and is preaching Jesus. Who's Jesus? Jesus. Well, Paul says he's this person who came to do this. Not only that, but his imprisonment would eventually lead to his preaching before the Sanhedrin, who is the Jewish council. Not only that, but his imprisonment would eventually lead to his preaching the gospel to the governor. Not only that, but his being imprisoned for the preaching of the gospel would then lead eventually to his preaching the gospel to Caesar himself. So, all the, in an attempt to silence Paul and to silence the gospel, it actually seems to have the opposite effect. Everybody is hearing the gospel. Even the higher-ups are hearing the gospel. And then what happens is that this seems, to have a, this seems to be a confidence booster to the Christians in that time. They're much more confident. They're bold to speak. They have this this fearlessness in preaching the gospel. Not everybody, I would assume, but many are more emboldened to preach the gospel from Paul's being imprisoned. Now, where is this, where is this confidence, where is this boldness drawn from? It's coming out of Paul's imprisonment. Somehow, seeing that the, the apostle Paul is in prison encourages the Christians to preach the gospel all the more. So rather than becoming timid and fearful, they continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there's, there's a courage that seems to soar to new heights. And this is what happens to the church. This is what happens. We see this, for example, in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. This is the apostle John and Peter. They were imprisoned for preaching the gospel. And then it says in Acts four twenty-three, when they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them, that is, that they are forbidden for preaching the gospel. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? For that, in verse 27, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So here are two apostles preaching the gospel, in prison, released, threatened to stop doing it, and where do they go? They go to the church, ask the brothers and sisters, let's pray for more boldness. And God grants them their request. And then for these Christians who hear or even see the Apostle Paul being in prison, they are emboldened to preach the gospel. It further confirms the message of the gospel and drives down deeper into their hearts the conviction that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord ultimately is the one who grants the fearlessness to preach the gospel through this imprisonment. So, yes, Paul was imprisoned, and this encouraged the saints to continue to preach the gospel, but his imprisonment was just an instrument to encourage the saints. Ultimately, that courage came from God. The proclamation of the gospel in the midst of adversity comes from conviction. And that conviction comes from the author of the gospel, who is God. Now, some might consider this absolutely foolish. Is it considered foolish? I mean, just think of the repercussions. Think of the consequences, right? Socially ostracized. For Christians in that time, it means that they lost friends and family members. Some lost their jobs. their means of making an income. Some were persecuted. Some were thrown into prison. They continued to preach the gospel. There was no pandemic during that time. But all you had to do to have people socially distant from you was just be a Christian. You were a Christian, and people would merely just run the other direction. Is it considered to be foolish to continue to preach the gospel during those kinds of consequences? And the answer is absolutely not. If a man says... Is goes out in the streets and says he has the cure for cancer and just proclaiming in the streets, I know the cure for cancer. I know where you can get it. Just listen to me. Trust me. I know where you can get it. Just follow me. Is that man considered foolish for declaring that message? Even if for whatever reason he was under threat, even if people came to him and said, Stop saying this, or you're going to be thrown to prison, or you're going to be beaten. Would he be considered a fool if he continued to do so even under those threats? Absolutely not. And more so for the Christian. Because the preaching of the gospel is a preaching of a reality that hangs over the life of every single human being. And that reality is that, that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth. There is a God who made man in his image, who made all things for his own glory. But man betrayed God. Man offended God. Man turned away from God to follow his own desires, to follow his own passions. That man is bent inward, has no regard for God, does not want to honor God, does not want to thank God but wants to live for himself, and God has determined that that is an offense worthy of eternal judgment and punishment. But in response, God sent the Son, His Son, His beloved Son, into the world to live a life as a human being, take on humanity to Himself, Live the perfect life without sin, went to the cross to die on the, on the cross for the sins of God's people so that anybody who places their faith and trust upon Jesus is spared of the judgment of God, is forgiven, and receives eternal life with God and with Jesus Christ. Edward Snowden, depending on who you ask, is considered a foolish man, a traitor, a hero for his releasing documents about government surveillance that he thought was unethical. And we're not here to debate Snowden or what do we think about him, but whether it's Snowden, whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's the Apostle Paul, he is no fool who boldly proclaims the truth that has come to possess him. Especially so for the Christian who has a message that can save a soul from death. So here is Paul, in prison, facing opposition to the gospel, all in an effort to silence the gospel, and it seems to have the opposite effect. The gospel continues to be proclaimed through his imprisonment, and even also through some rivals. Verse 15, Paul says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. So there are some who preach Christ from envy, from rivalry, from selfish ambition. Who are these individuals? Well, Paul calls them brothers. That is, brothers in Christ. So, verse 14, he says that people are preaching the gospel. The brothers are preaching the gospel. through his. I've become much more confident in preaching the gospel through his imprisonment. And so out of this category of brothers, there are some who do it out of sincerity and love, and there are some who do it out of selfish ambition and rivalry and envy. And the fact that he calls them brothers means that they are at least proclaiming the biblical gospel. So in other words, these are not heretics. They're not ones who are preaching a false gospel. Paul actually has harsher words for those who proclaim a false gospel later on in Philippians chapter 3. But these seem to be individuals who are still preaching the biblical gospel because he considers them brothers. They're just doing so for the wrong motives. Now remember, here in their culture was an honor-shame culture, especially in the city of Philippi. The citizens loved pursuing these uh, these honorable titles, one of those prestigious positions they wanted to be looked to. And so, this is pure speculation, but I think that these particular individuals who are preaching the gospel from selfish ambition and envy are those who have, are seizing the opportunity in Paul's being in prison to preach the gospel to further their own selfish motives. Because any, almost all Christians would have known who, who the Apostle Paul was. And so these individuals, probably jealous of kind of the status that the Apostle Paul has taken on in the life of the church, probably wanted that status for themselves. And they saw Paul's imprisonment as like, this is it. This is my opportunity. I'm not going to throw away this opportunity. I'm not going to throw away this shot. It's a reference to Hamilton, if anybody has seen that. But this was their prime opportunity. We're going to advance ourselves, not that Paul is in prison. It's not clear how exactly they intend to afflict Apostle Paul. But at the, at the very least, they're trying to get ahead in the preaching of the gospel. Now, thinking about this, I cannot help but think about everything that's kind of come out with regards to Ravi Zacharias' ministry. Right, surely after his passing, and I mean, you can just Google it. I don't want detail the things that have happened, but it's I mean, it's it's terrible. It's shown that he's lived a life that is inconsistent with the gospel. I mean, some of the things that happen is just you can't even talk about. It's hard to even talk about in public. Now, it's certainly be easy to be discouraged just because you would not expect something like that. You would not, whether you're a Christian or an atheist, you would not expect somebody with that kind of ministry to live the life, the secret life that he was living. To so become discouraged, it's easy also to perhaps even question his preaching of the gospel and those who have come to salvation through his ministry. And as far as I can tell, he did preach the biblical gospel. I mean, he traveled the world to make a defense of, of Christianity to make a persuasive and winsome argument for the existence of God. And so his ministry has borne a lot of fruit. But then how do you how do you deal with it now? What do you do with it? How do you think about it now? I think there's some lessons that we can draw from how Paul saw these rivals to the gospel. I think we can remember is that first the gospel is the gospel, whether it's priests by somebody who lives a life contrary to the gospel, whether the gospel is even preached by an atheist, the gospel is still the gospel. The gospel is the biblical gospel. As we read it in the scriptures, then the gospel is still moving forward, and we can be encouraged by that. Some might be led to believe that, that that the salvation of those who came under his ministry are in question because it came from a man who didn't live a life consistent with the gospel. And I would say it's not under question. Because man is not saved by the preaching of a person. The man is saved by the gospel. It is the gospel that saves. It doesn't matter the kind of life the person lives who preaches it, whether it's consistent with the gospel or not. If it's the biblical gospel, if somebody came to salvation through his ministry, then praise the Lord for that. Because it is the gospel that saves. And we can be encouraged to know, I think what we can draw from this and this preaching of rivals and Paul's ministry is that God can use anybody. God will use anybody. Here he is, Paul, thinking about these rivals, some who are preaching from selfish ambition and envy calls them brothers because they're still preaching the biblical gospel. I would assume that as a brother, that he's kind of affirming that at least they're living a a life consistent with the gospel. I'm not sure we can say that, to be quite honest, with Rabbi Zacharias. But whether it's somebody who is preaching the biblical gospel... And lives an honorable life, but does it from selfish ambition? Whether it's somebody who's preaching the gospel who lives an honorable life and doesn't preach it from uh, from selfish ambition, it's still the gospel. And the Lord can and will use anybody. The Paul continues, and he says that he's put there; that is, he's put in prison for the defense of the gospel. He's put there. I think there might be a double meaning to what he's trying to communicate there. In 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, Paul says, He desires that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this, that is destined for these afflictions, coming out of the proclamation of the gospel. And I think it's the same idea here that his being put there for the defense of the gospel. So I think what Paul means that it's not just the Jews, it's not just the Romans who put him in prison, but this was also God's destiny for the apostle Paul. And I think we can say that and with a high degree of confidence because we see that even while he's in prison, the gospel continues to be preached. So the gospel is preached despite the adversity. And that's quite shocking. But also quite surprising is that there's also joy in the midst of that adversity. So we see that in the preaching of the gospel, it's kind of had this, and the imprisonment for preaching the gospel has had this surprising effect. What would we expect from Paul's situation? We might expect that he might, that he might rebuke and correct these ill-intentioned preachers. We might expect that he would exhort the church to perhaps rebuke these individuals, maybe to separate themselves from these individuals. We might expect that the church would see Paul's imprisonment as the church taking a hit for the gospel, that somehow the apostle Paul, who is the great missionary, the great teacher, the great theologian, the great evangelist, his being imprisoned for the gospel, that that might somehow put a brake on the gospel. right? We might expect that. You would expect that the Christians, because of his imprisonment, might become much more fearful and timid because, wow, if that happened to the apostle Paul, then I can expect a similar treatment. Given his affection for the Philippian church and their concern for him, we might expect in his personal remarks to at least... Be able to tell them you know, i'm fine i'm doing well i'm well fed i'm sleeping I'm, I'm, I'm fine do not worry about me but he doesn't say any of those things in fact what he's he's again drawing us to reflect to reflect and to think about this and that is that his imprisonment has had the opposite effect the gospel continues to be preached more christians have become more confident to preach the gospel. And that rather him than him being perhaps discouraged that he doesn't, he's not out there preaching the gospel, discouraged because he's in prison, instead he's actually filled with joy. Paul shows a greater concern for the gospel than for himself. And he finds himself filled with joy. It's not that Paul doesn't care about himself. But he cares more about something that he considers to be of greater value. And he considers the gospel to be of greater value than his own life. And the fact that the gospel continues to move forward, right, it shows us that the gospel moving forward is not dependent upon the Apostle Paul. It's dependent upon a particular person or individual or someone's ministry, The gospel moving forward depends upon God and God alone. He just uses us as his instruments for doing so. So the imprisonment has this opposite effect. And we see this, actually, this opposite effect, for example, in China. Back in 1949, there were 4 million Christians. Today, that number has swelled up to 97 million. Is the fastest growing religion in China with an annual rate of 7%. Some statistics, this was a couple of years ago, I think, but some statistics show or have come to the conclusion that in 15 years, China will have the largest concentration of Christians in the world. And that's mind-blowing, given just how close China is to the gospel there's a lot at risk in being a christian in china i mean if you if you convert to christianity like you're in some cases like you're you're forced to divorce from your spouse receive threats from family members some churches have been burned down christians and their families have been harassed by local authorities There's persecution. It's even said that that the local authorities will even reward citizens for giving them knowledge about any Christians in their neighborhood. Christians are having to come together in the middle of the night in secrecy to meet together to worship the Lord and to learn from His Word. And yet... Christianity is growing at a rapid pace. Amen. The church continues to grow. We might think, or the world might think, that persecution will silence the church. But it seems, as we see in the the example of China, as we see in the example of the book of Acts, as we see here in the letter of Philippians, that persecution actually seems to have the opposite effect, that no matter how much you try to silence the gospel, it doesn't ever work. Now, here in America, according to Gallup, 70% of Americans once considered themselves church members. This was back in 1999. Now, it's down to 50%, and it continues to decrease, and what's and the rise now are religious nuns, that is, who are not affiliated with any kind of religion. And then COVID makes things worse. I recently read in an article, I think it was from the Baptist Press, about how many pastors have been, have been walking away or stepping down from ministry because of the pressures during the pandemic. trying to figure out how to minister to people, how to, what does church look like when everybody is prevented from coming together. And there's the, the politicizing of masks and people turning it into a sin issue when it isn't. I've even, I have pastor friends who haven't walked down from the ministry but, I, but have felt the pressure when they have church members who are causing division in the church over issues like this. And I'm, for one, I'm thankful to the Lord that we haven't had that in our church. Praise the Lord for that. Because it's happening. And pastors are stepping down because of it. I, had, I have a friend much older than me. I, he was a mentor to me many years ago. But this was when I was a young Christian. I do not really know what to do with it. I do not really give it a lot of thoughts. But it's, for whatever reason, it's always stuck in my mind. And my wife and I were actually just talking about this the other day. But he has said once that persecution in America will come through political correctness. And 15 years later, after he said that, I think back I'm like, he's absolutely right. He was absolutely right. And as we think about even like the, the Equality Act and how it's going to the Senate, as Christians, it's not that we don't want anybody to be treated unjustly or unfairly. But this, this could turn Christians or anybody who holds to any kind of religion as enemies, as criminals. The Equality Act essentially is a a banning against any kind of discrimination towards anybody who identifies by, who who has this particular sexual orientation or any kind of sexual identity. And then, right, and that puts Christian private schools, that puts any kind of Christian organization, institution, that puts any church at risk. Because so that could lead to, to lawsuits in the future. I mean, that could lead to pastors being thrown into prison for, for this preaching the truth, for declaring the truth. What we see is decline in church attendance has little to do with persecution because there's very little persecution here in our country. But the biggest fear should not be persecution. The most dangerous enemy to the church is not persecution, but it is secularism. It is compromising with the gospel. It is caving to societal pressure. The gospel is lost when there are a thousand compromises to the gospel. That is our biggest enemy, not persecution. Because again, as we see in the gospels, we see in Acts, we see in Philippians, as we see the example of China, persecution actually doesn't silence the church. God miraculously actually uses persecution to help the church, to grow the church, to advance the gospel. And so the words of Jude in his letter are more relevant today and becomes increasingly so, and his words are to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith. Hold on to the faith. Proclaim the truth. Don't compromise with it. Compromising with the truth leads to lukewarmness. And lukewarmness eventually leads to death we contend for the faith. And by the way, side note, I would encourage I would encourage all parents if you have kids in the home, if you want to see kids grow up and contend for the faith, open the scriptures and pray with your children. Teach them the gospel. Teach them the word of God. Help them to understand biblical truth. And if you don't have children yet, but you're hoping to, start that liturgy in the home today. Honestly, I'm convinced that it is the restoration of family worship in the home that God could use as a catalyst to bring revival in this country. So then, Even in the midst of persecution, the gospel continues to move forward. Even in the midst of persecution, the Apostle Paul shows that he has incredible joy because the gospel continues to advance, and that should be our joy as well. The gospel continues to be proclaimed, and in that, we should rejoice. And with that, let me leave you with just a few parting thoughts. As we, put our, as we think about this message, we think about... The world may try to silence Christianity. First, put your trust in the Lord. Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. That means that nothing is going to kill his church. The church is not going to die because of COVID. The church is not going to die because of pastors leaving the ministry. The church is not going to die because of scandals and hypocrisy in church leaders. The church is not going to die because of persecution. The church belongs to the Lord. And it is his plan A. It is his only plan. It's not his only plan because he can't think of another plan, but it's his only plan because he only needs one plan for the salvation of man. And the church plays a vital role in that plan. And so he will not allow his church to become lost. And so we should put our trust in the Lord. 2 Peter 1.20 It tells us that that Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We do not put our trust in man, Any particular man, we do not put our trust in any ministries, but we put our trust in the name of the Lord our God. So put your trust in the Lord. Secondly, pray. Pray for church leaders, and I would also covet your prayers. Pray for me. Pray that I may continue to have the boldness to preach the gospel week in and week out, that I would continue to preach biblical truth and not compromise with the truth no matter what is happening out in the world. Pray. Pray for my preaching. Pray for my endurance. Pray for my ministry. Pray for my family. Pray for my marriage. Pray for the Lord's protection. I would covet your prayers. Pray for me. And then lastly, preach the gospel. Preach the word of the Lord. Ask the Lord to give you boldness to continue to preach the gospel without fear. The church doesn't cower in adversity, but she puts her hope and her trust in God. And if adversity should come our way, if opposition should come our way, may the Lord see fit to use it to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we rejoice in that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this gospel that has saved us. We thank you, Lord, for this loving kindness that you have shown to us, the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, and you have made us ambassadors of the gospel, and so we pray that you would grant your servants boldness to preach this gospel. May we do so in a gentle, in a persuasive, and in a winsome way. Lord, may we not even trust in what we say, because it's so easy to doubt ourselves and to think, oh, maybe I should have said it like this, or maybe I should have said that. But Lord, help us to leave the conversations that we might have with others into your hands and trust that you will use it as you see fit. Help us to put our trust in you, Lord, and increase our joy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Amen. Church, let's stand and worship, continuing worship. Amen. Amen. sorrows, Lamb of God, by His own betrayed. The sin of man and wrath of God has been so blood That my Jesus spilled Now the curse of sin Has no hold on me Whom the Son sets free Who is free indeed Now my debt is paid It is paid in full By the precious blood That my Jesus spilled the curse of sin has no hold on me. Whom the sun sets free, oh is free indeed. Oh that rugged cross, my salvation, where Your love poured out over me, and now my soul cries out. And oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. And now my soul cries out, Hallelujah, praise and honor. Rugged, it, hold oh, that rugged cross, my salvation. Where Your love poured out over me, and now my soul cries out, Hallelujah, praise honor blood and righteousness I dare I dare not trust the sweetest frame but holy trust in Jesus name let's sing that again my hope is built my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood in righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy, but holy trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone. In Christ alone, corner cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord, Lord of all. When darkness, when darkness seems to hide His face, I rest on His unchanging grace. dressed, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless and before the throne, it's in Christ alone. Christ, in Christ our Lord. You for you are our God. Where else can we lay our hope and our trust in, Father, but only in you, Lord? You are the faithful one, you are the sovereign one. And so, God, we put our trust and hope in you as we go on throughout our lives, um, trying to worship you and honor you in all of our ways. And in that, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, today's benediction, as we leave, comes from Romans 16, uh, verses 25 through 27. It says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and now through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Church, you are dismissed. God bless you.